The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. I can still recall the day when Jesus saved my soul, when His blessed Holy Spirit came and took control. I trusted in His precious blood, my sin to atone, and I started singing. Take your Bibles, Revelation. This is a Bible preaching church. We're not philosophizing up here behind the pulpit, no matter who preaches. Pretty much, no matter who preaches behind this pulpit, uh, the preachers of Gospel Baptists are Bible-based, uh, love the Lord, time-tested, and preach from the Word of God. Uh, my temporary philosophy of life, if it agrees with the Bible, that's wonderful. If it doesn't, the Bible takes precedent. Because I'm coming, and I'm in fact, I'm going. And uh, just like I mentioned, those names... Those are just names to you, but those are people to me. And about 150 of those folks so far, I've had the privilege of knowing and then been able to do their funeral. And if I live so long, I may do another 150 more. Anyway, just looking at you. Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. I have preached on this verse on another angle, another truth on this verse. I preached uh, a sermon years ago called The Flying Evangelist. This is not that sermon. In fact, it comes from a really different. I take, it, I take a couple words of this passage that when I was reading through the book of Revelation, uh, it hit me. I thought, this is another truth needs to be spoken. Let me read it. And I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel. How, what kind of gospel? Oh, I want to be associated with that, amen. I want to be part of the everlasting gospel. And uh, it says, but what, what are the next two words? To preach. Now, the everlasting gospel is good, amen? It's good, right? I mean, everlasting gospel, I'm going to explain all that in a minute. But the everlasting gospel is good, right? But those two words behind it got to be there. The everlasting gospel has a purpose. For you and for me, nobody's exempted that knows Christ. To preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Where on the earth? Well, every nation and kindred and tongue and people. Wow, they say there's about 2,500 languages that are known in the world. They say the Bible has been translated into about 1,250 of those languages. The other 1,250, all the major languages of the world, the Bible has been translated in, absolutely. I say major, meaning in India... For example, looking at the rows here, the, in India there's 800 plus languages, but there's only one major language throughout the whole country of India, uh, Hindi, I think it is. And uh, I met somebody from Pakistan yesterday, and they said that they spoke Urdu, I think it is. And I said, is that the national language? And he, they, he said, yes, it is. It's the national language. So. The Bible is in, I believe, I'm confident that the Bible is in the national languages of the worlds of the nations. 
But when it comes to the dialects, that's the tribal languages and things that go down, like in India, so many different ones are spoken. Uh, the Bible definitely is not in all of those languages, but there's a concerted effort still by the Church of Jesus Christ, born-again believers, um, even crossing over denominational lines, and that are trying to get the Bible into the written language. Why? What does the Bible contain? It contains the everlasting gospel. And that is why we are so, we're not panicked. Christians are not panicked. But we are urgently, you know, understand the difference between panic and urgent. It is important to do, and it's urgent to do, because it is time sensitive, because people are dying. I had one missionary come here years ago, and they was going to a city in Germany. And I said, how do you plan on reaching your city of about 125,000 people? And he says, well, I'm going to go to the coffee shops and get to be friends with some of the owners and do some of the people and shopping this. And what he was explaining is, is a method of evangelism called friendship evangelism. I use it. I have successfully used friendship evangelism. Yes, I know it's hard to believe I have a friend or two. But I have used friendship evangelism to see waitresses come to know Christ that I go to the restaurant on. And what, what happened, but, but I told the guy, the people in that city you're going to are dying too quickly for you to just use friendship evangelism because you're no way going to be able to get to be friends with more than 10, 15, maybe 20, 25 people. And there's 125,000 people and just taking how many die a year there. You're going to have to do something bigger than that, something more than that, something faster than that. Makes sense to you? He looked at me and said, I never thought of it. I said, well, we're not going to support you until you think of it. And so he went back home. He went back to his preacher. They had a conference. And uh, he, came, he called me on the phone not long after that. And he said, preacher, I've changed my philosophy. We're going to pass tracks out on the street corner. We're going to run ads in the newspaper. We're going to put, uh, we're going to put radio. We're going to, to buy some radio time and preach a gospel over the radio. We're going to, by the grace of God, if we get the money, we'll put it even on TV. We're going to go door to door. We're going to start. And I thought to myself, now we're talking. I've had, I've had people tell me, well, I don't believe in telling other people because I think religion's a private issue, and I'm just going to live it in front of them, and they're going to have to somehow deduce that I'm a Christian. Well, man, I've seen Islamics live better than Christians. I've seen Hindus live better than Christians. You're not going to be able to win them to the gospel by your life. For rare is the person that's even going to come up to you and ask you why you live the way you live, right? How many people you had come up to you and say, I want to be a Christian because I've watched you? Any so far? None? Anybody come up? No, none. Uh, Brother Mike, anybody come up to you? No, none. Let me do a little survey here. Jayla, I would expect you to have one. Okay, she didn't even have one. If Jayla didn't have anybody come up to her, and you know her, and ask her, I want to know, I want to be a Christian because I've watched you, then ain't nobody in this room probably had to have, oh, maybe once, maybe twice, somebody said, you're different, you're unusual, what is that book you carry around? I don't understand what it is. Maybe I want to be something. What do you got? I've had people come up to me and say, uh, uh, I heard you talk about Jesus. Ah, words, words. You see, the angel that was flying through heaven here is, is this is the, God's last ditch 
effort. It is not his main program. The main program for giving the gospel out is not what you find here in the the book of Revelation that I read here in the 14th chapter. This is his last-ditch effort in the tribulation period when most of the Christians have been taken out in the rapture and 144,000 have been turned loose to be a witness and the two witnesses were turned loose for three and a half years to be a witness. And then he, when, when, that, when they kill the two witnesses, and the hundred, then, then he, they're going to send this angel. By the way, as far as I know, this is the first time in the whole Bible and the last time in the whole Bible that he uses angels to preach something that pertains to you and me. The the everlasting gospel does not pertain to those angels. Why don't angels get to preach a gospel? Because they didn't get saved by it. That's why. They didn't get saved by the gospel. We did. We, by the ones that trusted Christ. The gospel, Jesus Christ, was given for you and for me. Now, let me define it. The word gospel means good news. That's deep theology, amen? It means good news. Not just any good news. But it means the news of Jesus Christ dying for you and for me. It means that Jesus didn't just die. The liberals say he just died. Jesus died. He was buried. And the third day, he was resurrected. All the other false prophets out there that say they're the Christ are still in the grave. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4. Now, I'm going to go to a few places to kind of kind of reinforce what I'm talking about. And if you can't go to them, if you get caught up in doing that and it messes you up, just listen. It'll be fine. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. I hope that you got that underlined or colored in your Bible because that, in essence, is the... It, 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 people want to say the, the gospel is that Christ died. No. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Romans 4.25, don't go there. It says, who was delivered for our offenses as Jesus Christ and was raised again for our justification. The word justification means to be declared not guilty. I am guilty. The evidence has been presented to the jury. The evidence is absolutely watertight. They got video of me doing it. They got eyewitnesses of me doing it. Uh, I even admitted to doing it. And I'm coming before the judge. And the judge puts his hammer down and goes, uh, would you, uh, I'm, I'm making this up, you realize. Would you like to, do you believe that Jesus Christ died for you, was buried and rose again? I do. And I, trusted him as my personal savior, and that hammer goes down in the front of God's tribunal and says, we find this person to be not guilty of all the charges placed against him. And the guilt that goes upon him goes to Jesus Christ, who died for him. That means in his place. Christ died in my place, glory to God. If everything goes bad in my life from here out, Christ still died for my sins. And I, he has a place for me that he said he's making right at this moment. Woo. It's going to be beautiful. By the way, our reaction to the good news is vital, vital to our eternal destination and our state. In John chapter 3, verse 36, a paramount passage, he says, he, Jesus' words, he that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Now, he's talking about himself. And he that believeth not the Son 
shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I think that's as clear and as simple as, as it could be stated in words. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Period. He that believeth not the Son, they doubt him. They think there's someone else. They think there's, they want to add to it. Shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. Woo. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 said, Whosoever was not found written, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire. All I can tell you, I want to get my name in the book of life. How about you? If everybody that's not found written in the book of life was cast in the lake of fire, I want to get my name in the book of life. How did I do that? John chapter 1, verse 12 says, For as many as received him, who? Jesus Christ. To them gave he power. That's the legal right to become the sons of God, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, believe on his name is not a temporal belief. It's not an intellectual belief. It is a belief, the Bible says, comes from your heart. When I stood in front of the justice of the peace for five minutes and $10 and got married, he asked me whether I'd take this woman to be my lawful wedded wife, and I said, I do. Forty-four wonderful years later, I still do. That's what believing on Jesus is about. It ain't going into a place and saying, I believe on Jesus. What, 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 what good would my words been if I'd have stood in front of that justice peace for five minutes for $10 and said, I do, walked out there, saw a girl prettier than her, and said, Kathy, it was nice knowing you, but I'm going with this girl. Would I have meant that? All of you say no. That's a lot of people that say they trust Christ. Oh, yeah, I want him as my personal Savior. But they don't mean it. They don't mean it. They don't mean. They don't really believe in their heart that he's the Son of God, the only Son of God, the uniquely begotten Son of God, the unique Son of God, for only one Son of God that represented all of mankind for one time and died upon the old rugged cross. They don't believe that he took upon the sins of the world. They don't believe that their, their sin was part of that and that he's the only way and there's no other way. He is the truth, the way, and the life. There's no other way to go. They don't believe it. When he says believe on the Son of God, he means believe. Man, like you took your vow to your woman, like your women took your vow to your wife. You, you believe it. It's with your whole heart. Brother, I realized what I was doing there. When I married that old black-haired, blue-eyed Irish girl, I knew that I wasn't marrying no blonde girl. I'm not saying that Claire all wouldn't have her place. The gospel, the everlasting gospel, is of critical importance in the scheme of things. It cannot be overemphasized this morning how important the everlasting gospel is to the souls of men. The gospel will do no one any good unless it is heard or read, if I may say, understood. It makes sense to you. So, we have been told in a number of places, both in Matthew chapter 28 as well as Mark chapter 16, basically this. 
Now that you've received the gospel, as you're, uh, you've received the gospel, you've asked Jesus, the good news, you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, you've received him to as many as received him. To them gave you power, the legal right to become the sons of God, the children of God. You believe that with all your heart. You've asked him, you've been willing to turn from your sin because that's inherent in that whole thing. Well, I told you when I got married, I was willing to turn from every other woman. That was inherent in my vows. Inherent in coming to Christ is that you really will be faithful and true to him, that it's real to you. And so you trust Christ. But after you receive this great gift called eternal life, God comes to you and says, now you're my child. Now, as a child, it's inherently understood that you're obedient to your parent. You say, well, then why wasn't I? Well, you should have been. You got to be obedient to your parent. My, my, he's my father. He told me in, in John chapter 8, verse 44, that my father was the devil before that. But he's birthed me now into his family, and now God the Father is my father, my new father. It's, it's, it's understood that you're going to obey him. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. He said, if you're a friend of his, you'll do whatsoever he commands you. It makes just sense that you would want to follow your father. It makes sense to you? He says, you've heard the everlasting gospel. You've appropriated it. You've taken it to yourself. It's yours. I put your name in a book called the Book of Life. I'm going to prepare a mansion for you so you can be my neighbor throughout eternity. We're going to do great things in eternity. I haven't even told you all we're going to do, but we're going to do some great things. Bible, the Bible says his servant shall serve him. That's all I can tell you. There's some big stuff ahead of God's children. Good stuff. We're not going to be on a cloud floating, playing some instrument we don't like. We're going to be doing something for God because God's a worker. He's a creator. Now he tells us, you take what you've heard to be saved and tell somebody else. That is the pinnacle of the prime directive of every born-again believer. I use a little Star Trek talk there for you. Prime directive. That's not in the Bible. But it is our prime directive. It is what we live for, what we breathe for, what we get up in the morning for, what we go to bed at night for, what, we, what we're existing for, why we are taking up space should be a Christian's burning motivator is to reach other people before it's too late for them so they can have what you've received. Go to the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Go teach all nations, baptize them, them the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Yeah. So this angel, this everlasting, goes through the sky, the everlasting gospel, to do what? To preach. It's God, the gospel has to be preached. Well, the word preach, I looked it up, it simply means to announce. What am I doing this morning? I'm announcing, I'm explaining, right? It's called preaching. Um. Uh, we are all in some degree to announce the good news, the everlasting gospel to those around us. And it, you can call it the word preach. 47 times in the New Testament, the word preach is used. It means to foretell, to announce to others, to explain to others. 
We're explaining the gospel. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 through 15, if you want to look there. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Most of you are familiar with that verse. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Without somebody to tell them, somebody to explain to them, somebody to announce it to them. And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach or announce the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. You know what the gospel is? It's the gospel of peace. When I came to Jesus and heard he died for me, shed his blood, was buried, rose again, satisfied the justice of God concerning my sins, if I would just believe in him by faith with all my heart, when I heard that, that was the best thing I ever heard. Indeed, it was the best news, the, good, the goodest of the good news. And I wanted to immediately tell somebody else about it because what it did to me is it gave me peace. How about you? Man, the gospel gave me peace. I've heard people get saved through the years that said it's like a load's been lifted off of me. It's like a weight has been lifted off me. It's like a burden. I'm walking around like I'm floating. Boy, I like to be around brand new believers because they're enthused about it. They don't care if they make mistakes. They don't care if they mispronounce stuff. They don't care if they don't say it quite right. They just got to tell somebody, I've been saved. In fact, they'll say this, Lytel saved me. You know that's wrong. I used to have an aunt that would, would come to my dad and always say, Ori, you saved me. He'd say, now, quit saying that. This went on for 30 years, folks. Every time he saw it, it was his sister. He said, he said, now, I didn't save you. Jesus saved you. She said, well, I know, I know, but you were the one that told me about it. He said, I know I told you about it, but I don't like that when you say I saved you. And they never resolved the argument. They're both dead. No, they never resolved it. They went all the way to the grave with that thing. In the midst of heaven, this angel's preaching the everlasting gospel. But the angels don't get to do it. As far as I know, this is the only place the angels really preach it. Man, you and I get to preach it. Ladies, you and I, we get, you get to preach it. You get to tell everybody about it. You get to go around it. You get to tell all, everybody you meet, everybody you see. You get to give gospel tracts. Because, by the way, it can be in written form. It can be in verbal form, it can be over electronically, it can be on your cell phone, it can be on your iPhone, it can be anywhere. But get the gospel out there. We hear the gospel, believe in getting the gospel every way we can get, over 20 different ways. We're on the web. Last year, 124, 5,000 people downloaded my sermons and sermons that were preached here to gospel. And by the grace of God, listen to some of them. I'm getting, we get, we get information that's over all the way around the world in the Philippines and in Germany and other places we've never been to go by the electronic means. By the grace of God, they're hearing the gospel. This sermon will go out. Oh, I'm for it. How about you? Get it out any way you can. Get it out through the bus ministry. Get it out through the door-to-door. Get it out through the VBS. Get it out through the July 4th parade. But get it out! Because the gospel won't do anybody any good unless it's preached. It has to be preached. Jesus preached it. John the Baptist preached it. Their message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The apostles preached it each with his own style. Old Peter with his non-academic, horrible language. 
Why he wrote the book of First Peter and Second Peter, there's a bunch of Greek words in First Peter and Second Peter that they don't even know where they came from. He just made them up, which I did in Sunday school this morning. If I'm, I want to be like Peter, even if it's like that, amen. Peter just made the words up. He's an old, hard, crusty old fisherman, didn't care about English. He didn't think school would do him any good. And God said, I want you to go and preach the gospel to the, to the world. What? Then he knocked Paul down on the road to Damascus, an educated, multilingual, uh, uh, under the, by the feet of Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers of their moment, probably had the Old Testament memorized, honestly, probably had a photographic memory. No doubt that he was extremely smart. He was the best of the best. And God said, Paul, I want you to go preach the gospel. And everybody in between Peter and Paul and Mary <laughs> preached the gospel. Preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Preachers have been called of God and young people have been called of God and every one of us individually in our evangelistic responsibility to those around us has been called of God to go. A physician preached, a Pharisee preached, a rural plain folk preached, farmers preached, accountants preached, tax collectors preached. Brother, just preach. God will use you. I read about D.L. Moody. Most of you know a little bit about D.L. Moody. They said over one million people made professions of faith under his ministry on two different continents. One thing I did not know about D.L. Moody until not long ago was, because I've read a lot of D.L. Moody's sermons. At Bob Jones, they required we read D.L. Moody's sermons, brother. And they were good sermons. And, you know, I never thought anything about it. What I didn't know was they were edited. D.L. Moody's language was so poor so unorthodox that they thought it was not publishable. And so his sermons were edited by some language specialist, which in my opinion ruined him. Brother, God used ain't done did, then say ain't done did. God loves to use ain't done did. He'll use, I'm not saying you shouldn't be better if you can, but brother, when an old hillbilly from Kentucky that's never gone to school much came here and preached years ago, and I'm telling you, he slaughtered the King's English like I've never heard it in my life. I heard expressions, uh, that don't jee-haw. I heard things I didn't ever hear before, and, and, and I still remember the sermon because God came to that service. And I thought I sat back there and almost got the giggles when I was thinking, I was at Bob Jones and how they used to yank me across the, 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 the chair about my English, and t- man, just beat me up about this, and that was proper, and that's not proper, and this, da, 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 da. and just because I just didn't have no, I just done, don't have no natural gift for language. And everything I got is worked hard at. And I heard that boy get up there and preaching, and God was coming, and people were moved by God, and I thought, praise you, Jesus, hallelujah, glory to God. You use everyone, no matter who they are, if they're just willing to do it, if they're willing to preach the everlasting gospel, you'll use them. It's been preached in the open air, the workplace, the sporting events, the cathedrals, the lean-tos, the shanties, the government buildings, the jails, you name a place, the gospel will go. 
It's been preached with a, with a spirit of anger and when sweetly and softly and loudly and whispered and shouted and tears, no tears, with compassion, no compassion, in duress, no duress, in freedom, with perfect grammar, street-level homespun language, monotonal, bombastically, expositionally, topically, crudely and eloquently, but the gospel has been preaching every one of them and more. I studied a little bit about preachers. Spent some time reading biographies. I read, I read C.H. Spurgeon's biography. Ooh, that old boy had some gift of language. I mean, he could do word pictures and make you see. You could see. He could verbally show you what's behind me, and you'd know what it looked like. Not too many people have that gift. R.G. Lee, a few other people in the past. And boy, I'm thinking, boy, oh boy, oh boy. Then D.L. Moody, of course, came up and couldn't do that, and this is unbelievable. God used him. Then I think of uh, Jonathan uh, Edwards, how he read his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of Anger, God by Candlelight. In a monotonal, unexcited, unexcited voice. And people got so under conviction, they were grabbing the pews ahead of them and shaking that they wouldn't go to hell right there. When I read through those and I hear about Gypsy Smith and him getting out in a field and preaching somehow up to 15,000 people and they could hear him, and he slaughtered the king's English as only a gypsy could do, then I think of a guy like Whitfield who was a master of the language and had a voice, a booming voice that could be heard unbelievably outside. And I hear of the various people down through the years that preach. You know what I say? God will use you. God will use me because we're responsible to be used. When, when the gospel's preached, sometimes 3,000 got saved. In the book of Acts, one time 5,000 got saved. There's been times the gospel was preached, many times the gospel was preached, nobody responded whatsoever. It's been accepted by the masses, it's been ignored by the masses. It's been, whole nations have responded to the gospel, whole nations have rejected the gospel. But the gospel is to be preached. It's to be preached. You personally can't be right with God if you're not somehow trying to announce the gospel of Jesus Christ to other folks. I can unequivocally, that's a big word, I can say it without question that you and I are responsible to preach, to, to announce, to tell. 1 Corinthians 1.17 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, thus the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are believed, it is the power of God. I love that. For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is God. I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer, the philosopher of this age, of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by their wisdom, see, knew not God. And it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that did believe in the gospel. The Christian's main focus is to preach, preach, preach. The church's main focus 
is to preach, preach, preach. Uh, nothing should sidetrack you or me away from announcing, spreading, every form we can spread it in, the everlasting good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins and my sins, and he was buried and he rose again, conquering death. The third day was accepted of the Father, now sits on the right hand of the throne of God, making intercession for those who have trusted him. Woo! By the way, there's folks who seek to twist the gospel, seek to pervert the gospel, seek to change the gospel. There's some hard words in the Bible for those. Galatians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, which, uh, they preach a gospel which is not another, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Yeah, there are. But listen to what he says. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The word in Greek is anathema. And we said before, so we say now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than you have received, let him be anathema, accursed. That means directly sent to hell. But if the gospel, even though it's been tried to be perverted, God himself protects the gospel. He protects it. The devil and all of the, of the think tank of the evil one will not stand up against the church. I, he says, build my church. And the gates, that's the think tank. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. There's no scheme from the dark side that's going to destroy the church. Oh, locally, individually, sometimes churches are destroyed, but it's just a wound. It's not a death blow. Because God's gospel will get preached. He will get preached. He says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 15 and 18, he says, Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, some of goodwill. One preached Christ of contention, but not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. He says, What then? Understanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. I've met Jehovah's Witnesses raised up in absolute error. Mormons, same way, that come to Jesus and get saved. Just by being around the Bible. Just by reading, even though they've been taught in every way you can be taught, different from the truth that's obvious to the, to the Christian as you read, yet by being around this book, they somehow came and their eyes were open and they saw the real gospel. And they got saved. That's because this is a dangerous book to the devil. Because the everlasting gospel is found in this book. And God is preaching and once preached the everlasting gospel. What's our mission here at Gospel? What's our name? Gospel Baptist. The mission by our very name is good news. Baptist means to baptize. Okay, let's put it together. 
They hear the good, good news. They get saved. What's the next thing you do after you get saved, folks? You get baptized. Our name, Gospel, Baptist. And then after you get, after you get saved and after you get baptized, what do you do? You become part of the church. Gospel, Baptist, church. It's the sequence that happens to every born-again believer that seeks God's face. Oh, I hope you're active in the mission that as a born-again believer. Now, I know some of you are struggling in your mission. You've been sidetracked in your mission. You've been damaged in your mission. Because the devil's dream for you is to stop you from preaching the everlasting gospel at any cost. He'll study you. He'll look for weaknesses. He'll take your own temperament and work it against you. He'll take everything he can take in his bag of tricks, and he's real old. And he's real smart, and he's the deceiver of the whole world. And he will come and try to get you to doubt, to do anything, to get caught up in your own life, to look inward, 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 when the Bible says we're to look outward, outward, outward. You don't save your marriage by looking inward. You save your marriage by looking upward. You get caught up with Jesus, it'll save your marriage. You're not going to save your marriage by going to... Three-day seminars, I'm not against them, but you're not going to save your marriage by going three-day seminars. I'm sorry, you're not going to do it. You're going to save your marriage by serving God. Because when people serve God, they got the peace of God. And when they got the peace of God, they get along with each other. Amen, glory to God. They're right with God. Their soul's clean. They don't have anything between them and the Savior. And the Holy Spirit comes in. He gives them the peace of God. He gives them the sweetness of God. He gives them, they become easy to be entreated. They become sweet in their spirit. They become kind and they become gentle. And they become somebody that you can live with. The only reason I've been married 44 years is because of Jesus. Not because of my natural niceness. My wife here today? You should have said amen to that. I got about half the energy I used to. That old girl. Aren't you happy? I, I, I love Jesus. I want to serve him. I know you are. And you know what? I'm happy you did too. Because they don't know you like I do. How about you this morning? Will you, will you, will you do this? Will you take onto yourself the mission of announcing the gospel? That's what you got to do. You want peace with God? You want to have His favor? You want to have the blessings that are in the book? There's nothing closer to the heart of God Almighty than His Son who died for the world's sins. And nothing will make God happier in your life than if you would... I mean, all of it ties to self together. There's no one thing standing by itself. But I can tell you this, being taking that good news that His Son died on Calvary and was buried and rose again the third day and going telling other people about it, that is the very heartbeat of God because nobody will get saved and nobody will be done any good if they don't hear about it. 
And that's our whole heartbeat, mission, function, why we spend the money, why we build the gym. That gym's not built to play basketball in. That gym's built to preach the gospel. And we'll play a little basketball in it. But it's about the gospel. Father, help us to understand it. Help us understand what the everlasting gospel is and why it was preached and why we're to preach it. 2,000 years later, after those little handful of ragtag group of people chosen by Jesus went out into the world and preached the gospel and people got saved, the links still together went all the way over here to a country they didn't even know existed through the pilgrims and other people that were driven out of Europe. And here we are in America, a thing called America. Now we've spread the gospel by the missionaries that have gotten a burden out of this country all over the world, like England did in the 1800s. So in the 1900s, we did. May, Father, this body of believers be a living fire. May we be a living fire. The devil makes these efforts to shut us up, to make us get quiet, to look inward. May we not do it. May, in fact, the devil's efforts on our ministry and on our lives, may it fire us up to be more zealous than we've ever been, more excited, more zealous, more, more serious-minded about announcing the gospel of Jesus Christ to everybody we know. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand All the praise belongs to Him who died on Calvary. Jesus gave His life a ransom.